Section three of the Great Events by Famous Historians, Volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elsie Selwyn. The Great Events by Famous Historians, Volume two, edited by Charles F. Horn, Rossiter Johnson, and John Rudd. Section three. Pericles rules in Athens, B.C. four hundred and forty-four by plutarch part two as the lacedaemonians began to be jealous of the prosperity of the athenians pericles wishing to raise the spirit of the people and to make them feel capable of immense operations passed a decree inviting all the greeks whether inhabiting europe or asia whether living in large cities or small ones to send representatives to a meeting at athens to deliberate about the restoration of the greek temples which had been burned by the barbarians about the sacrifices which were due in consequence of the vows which they had made to the gods on behalf of greece before joining the battle and about the sea that all men might be able to sail upon it in peace and without fear to carry out this decree twenty men selected from the citizens over fifty years of age were sent out five of whom invited the ionian and dorian greeks in asia and the islands as far as lesbos and rhodes five went to the inhabitants of the hellespont and thrace as far as byzantium and five more proceeded to boetia phocis and peloponnesus passing from thence through locris to the neighboring continent as far as as far as arcanania and ambracia while the remainder journeyed through euboea to the oetaeans and the malian gulf and to the achaeans of phytia and the thessalians urging them to join the assembly and take part in the deliberations concerning the peace and well-being of greece however nothing was effected and the cities never assembled in consequence it is said of the covert hostility of the lacedaemonians and because the attempt was first made in peloponnesus and failed there yet i have inserted an account of it in order to show the lofty spirit and magnificent designs of pericles in his campaigns he was chiefly remarkable for caution for he would not if he could not help it begin a battle of which the issue was doubtful nor did he wish to emulate those generals who have won themselves a great reputation by running risks and trusting to good luck but he ever used to say to his countrymen that none of them should come by their deaths through any act of his observing that tolmides the son of tolmaeus elated by previous successes and by the credit which he had gained as a general was about to invade boetia in a reckless manner and had persuaded a thousand young men to follow him without any support whatever he endeavoured to stop him and made that memorable saying in the public assembly that if tolmides would not take the advice of pericles he would at any rate do well to consult that of best advisers time this speech had but little success at the time but when a few days afterward the news came that tolmides had fallen in action at coronea and many noble citizens with him pericles was greatly respected and admired as a wise and patriotic man his most successful campaign was that in the chersonesus which proved the salvation of the greeks residing there for he had not only settled a thousand colonists there and thus increased the available force of the cities but built a continuous line of fortifications reaching across the isthmus from one sea to the other by which he shut off the thracians who had previously ravaged the peninsula and put an end to a constant and harassing border warfare to which the settlers were exposed as they had for neighbors tribes of wild plundering barbarians 
but that by which he obtained most glory and renown was when he started from pegai to the megarian territory and sailed round the peloponnesus with a fleet of hundred triremes for he not only laid waste much of the country near the coast as tolmides had previously done but he proceeded far inland away from his ships leading the troops who were on board and terrified the inhabitants so much that they shut themselves up in their strongholds the men of Sicyon alone ventured to meet him at Nemea, and them he overthrew it in a pitched battle and erected a trophy. Next he took on board troops from the friendly district of Achaia, and crossing over to the opposite side of the Corinthian Gulf, coasted along past the mouth of the river Achelus, overran Acarnania, drove the people of Oenidae to the shelter of their city walls, and after ravaging the country returned home, having made himself a terror to his enemies, and done good service to Athens. But not the least casualty, even by accident, befell the troops under his command. When he sailed into the Black Sea with a great and splendidly equipped fleet, he assisted the Greek cities there and treated them with consideration, and showed the neighboring savage tribes and their chiefs the greatness of his force and his confidence in his power by sailing where he pleased and taking complete control over that sea he left at sinope thirteen ships and a land force under the command of lamachus to act against temesilian who had made himself despot of that city when he and his party were driven out pericles passed a decree that six hundred athenian volunteers should sail to sinope and become citizens there receiving the houses and lands which had formerly been in the possession of the despot and his party but in other cases he would not agree to the impulsive proposals of the athenians and he opposed them when elated by their power and good fortune they talked of recovering egypt and attacking the seaboard of the persian empire many too were inflamed with that ill-starred notion of an attempt on sicily which was afterward blown into a flame by alcabiades and other orators some even dreamed of the conquest of etruria and carthage in consequence of the greatness which the athenian empire had already reached and the full tide of success which seemed to attend it pericles however restrained these outbursts and would not allow the people to meddle with foreign states but used the power of athens chiefly to preserve and guard her already existing empire thinking it to be of paramount importance to oppose the lacedaemonians a task to which he bent all his energies as it proved by many of his acts especially in connection with the sacred war and this war the lacedaemonians sent a force to delphi and made the phocians who held it give it up to the people of delphi but as soon as they were gone pericles made an expedition into the country and restored the temple to the phocians and as the lacedaemonians had scratched the oracle which the delphians had given them on the forehead of the brazen wolf there pericles got a response from the oracle for the athenians and carved it on the right side of the same wolf events proved that pericles was right in confining the athenian empire to greece first of all euboea revolted and he was obliged to lead an army to subdue that island shortly after this news came that the megareans had become hostile and that an army under the command of plistoanax king of the lacedaemonians was menacing the frontier of attica pericles now in all haste withdrew his troops from euboea to meet the invader he did not venture on engagement with the numerous and warlike forces of the enemy although repeatedly invited by them to fight but observing that plistoanax was a very young man and entirely under the influence of clonindrides whom the ephors had sent to act as his tutor and counsellor because of his tender years he opened secret negotiations with the latter who at once for a bribe agreed to withdraw the peloponnesians from attica 
when their army returned and dispersed the lacedaemonians were so incensed that they imposed a fine on their king and condemned cleandrides who fled the country to be put to death this cleandrides was the father of gylippus who caused the ruin of the athenian expedition in sicily avarice seems to have been hereditary in the city for gylippus himself after brilliant exploits in war was convicted of taking bribes and banished from sparta in disgrace when pericles submitted the accounts of the campaign to the people there was an item of ten talents for a necessary purpose which the people passed without any questioning or any curiosity to learn the secret some historians among whom is theophrastus the philosopher say that pericles sent ten talents annually to sparta by means of which he bribed the chief magistrates to defer the war thus not buying peace but time to make preparations for a better defence he immediately turned his attention to the insurgents in euboea and proceeded thither with a fleet of fifty sail and five thousand heavy armed troops he reduced their cities to submission he banished from chalcis the equestrian order as it was called consisting of men of wealth and station and he drove all the inhabitants of hestiaia out of their country replacing them by athenian settlers he treated these people with this pitiless severity because they had captured an athenian ship and put its crew to the sword after this as the athenians and lacedaemonians made a truce for thirty years pericles decreed the expedition against samos on the pretext that they had disregarded the commands of the athenians to cease from their war with the milicians pericles is accused of going to war with samos to save the milicians these states were at war about the possession of the city of pereni and the samians who were victorious would not lay down their arms and allow the athenians to settle the matter by arbitration as they ordered them to do for this reason pericles proceeded to samos put an end to the oligarchical form of government there and sent fifty hostages and as many children to lemnos to ensure the good behaviour of the leading men it is said that each of these hostages offered him a talent for his own freedom and that much more was offered by that party which was loath to see a democracy established in the city besides all this pisuthenes the persian who had a liking for the samians sent and offered him ten thousand pieces of gold if he would spare the city pericles however took none of these bribes but dealt with samos as he had previously determined and returned to athens the samians now at once revolted as pisuthenes managed to get them back their hostages and furnished them with the means of carrying on the war pericles now made a second expedition against them and found them in no mind to submit quietly but determined to dispute the empire of the seas with the athenians pericles gained a signal victory over them in a sea-fight off the goat's island beating a fleet of seventy ships with only forty-four twenty of which were transports simultaneously with his victory and the flight of the enemy he obtained command of the harbour of samos and besieged the samians in their city they in spite of their defeat still possessed courage enough to sally out and fight a battle under the walls but soon a larger force arrived from athens and the samians were completely blockaded pericles now with sixty ships sailed out of the archipelago into the mediterranean according to the most current report intending to meet the phoenician fleet which was coming to help the samians but according to Stesimbrotus, with the intent of attacking cyprus which seems improbable whatever his intention may have been his expedition was a failure for melissus the son of Iphigenes, a man of culture who was then in command of the samian forces conceiving a contempt for the small force of the athenians and the want of experience of their leaders after pericles's departure persuaded his countrymen to attack them 
and the battle of the Samians proved victorious, taking many Athenians prisoner and destroying many of their ships. By this victory they obtained command of the sea and were able to supply themselves with more warlike stores than they had possessed before. Aristotle even says that Pericles himself was before this beaten by Melissus in a sea fight. The Samians branded the figure of an owl on the foreheads of their Athenian prisoners to revenge themselves for the branding of their own prisoners by the Athenians with the figure of a Samina. This is a ship having a beak turned up like a swine's snout, but with a roomy hull so as both to carry a large cargo and sail fast. This class of vessel was called a Samina because it was first built at Samos by Polocrates, the despot of that island. When Pericles heard of the disaster which had befallen his army, he returned in all haste to assist them. He beat Melissus, who came out to meet him, and after putting the enemy to rout and at once built a wall round their city, preferring to reduce it by blockade to risking the lives of his countrymen in an assault. In the ninth month of the siege, the Samians surrendered. Pericles demolished their walls, confiscated their fleet, and imposed a heavy fine upon them, some part of which was paid at once by the Samians, who gave hostages for the payment of the remainder at fixed periods. Pericles, after the reduction of Samos, returned to Athens, where he buried those who had fallen in the war in a magnificent manner, and was much admired for the funeral oration which, as is customary, was spoken by him over the graves of his countrymen. Ion says that his victory of the Samians wonderfully flattered his vanity. Agamemnon, he was wont to say, took ten years to take a barbarian city, but he in nine months had made himself master of the first and most powerful city in Ionia. And the comparison was not an unjust one, for truly the war was a very great undertaking, and its issue quite uncertain, since, as Thucydides tells us, the Samians came very near to wresting the empire of the sea from the Athenians. After these events, as the clouds were gathering for the Peloponnesian War, Pericles persuaded the Athenians to send assistance to the people of Corsaira, who were at war with the Corinthians, and thus to attach on their own side an island with a powerful naval force, at a moment when the Peloponnesians had all but declared war against them. When the people passed this decree, Pericles sent only ten ships under the command of Lacedaemonius, the son of Simon, as if he designed a deliberate insult, for the house of Simon was on peculiarly friendly terms with the Lacedaemonians. His design in sending Lacedaemonius out, against his will and with so few ships, was that if he performed nothing brilliant he might be accused, even more than he was already, of leaning to the side of the Spartans. Indeed, by all means in his power he always threw obstacles in the way of the advancement of Simon's family, for representing that by their very names they were aliens, one son being named Lacedaemonius, another Thessalus, another Elias. Moreover, the mother of all three was an Arcadian. Now Pericles was much reproached for sending these ten ships, which were of little value to the Corasirians, and gave a great handle to his enemies to use against him, and in consequence sent a larger force after them to Corsaira, which arrived there after the battle. The Corinthians, enraged at this, complained in the Congress of Sparta of the conduct of the Athenians, as did also the Megarinians, who said that they were excluded from every market and every harbor which were in the Athenian hands, contrary to the ancient rights and common privileges of the Hellenic race. The people of Aegina also considered themselves to be oppressed and ill-treated, and secretly bemoaned their grievances in the ears of the Spartans, for they dared not openly bring any charges against the Athenians. At this time, too, Potidaea, a city subject to Athens, but a colony of Corinth, revolted, and its siege materially hastened the outbreak of the war. 
Archidamus, indeed, the king of the Lacedaemonians, sent ambassadors to Athens, was willing to submit all disputed points to arbitration, and endeavored to moderate the excitement of his allies, so that war probably would not have broken out if the Athenians could have been persuaded to rescind their decree of exclusion against the Megarians, and to come to terms with them. And for this reason, Pericles, who was particularly opposed to this, and urged the people not to give way to the Megarians, alone bore the blame of having begun the war. Pericles passed a decree for a herald to be sent to the Megarians, and then to go on to the Lacedaemonians to complain of their conduct. This decree of Pericles is worded in a candid and reasonable manner, but the herald, Anthemocritus, was thought to have met his death at the hands of the Megarians, and Charnus passed a decree to the effect that Athenians should wage war against them to the death, without truce or armistice, that any Megarian found in Attica would be punished with death, and that the generals, when taking the usual oath for each year, should swear in addition that they would invade the Megarian territory twice every year, and that Anthemocritus should be buried near the city gate leading into the Thracian plain, which is now called the Double Gate. How the dispute originated, it is hard to say, but all writers agree in throwing on Pericles the blame of refusing to reverse the decree. Now, as the Lacedaemonians knew that if he could be removed from power, they would find the Athenians much more easy to deal with, they bade them drive forth the accursed thing, alluding to Pericles's descent from the Alcamionidae by his mother's side, as we are told by Thucydides the historian. But this attempt had just the contrary effect to that which they intended, for instead of suspicion and dislike, Pericles met with much greater honor and respect from his countrymen than before, because they saw that he was an object of especial dislike to the enemy. For this reason, before the Peloponnesians under Archidamus invaded Attica, he warned the Athenians that if Archidamus, when he laid waste everything else, spared his own private estate because of the friendly private relations existing between them, or in order to give his personal enemies a ground for impeaching him, he should give both the land and the farm buildings upon it to the state. The Lacedaemonians invaded Attica with a great host of their own troops, and those of their allies, led by Archidamus, their king. They proceeded, ravaging the country as they went as far as Acarnae, close to Athens, where they encamped, imagining that the Athenians would never endure to see them there, but would be driven by pride and shame to come out and fight them. However, Pericles thought that it would be a very serious matter to fight for the very existence of Athens against 60,000 Peloponnesian and Boetian heavy-armed troops, and so he pacified those who were dissatisfied at his inactivity by pointing out that trees, when cut down, quickly grow again, but that when the men of a state are lost, it is hard to raise up others to take their place. He would not call an assembly of the people because he feared that they would force him to act against his better judgment. But just as the captain of a ship, when a storm comes on at sea, places everything in the best trim to meet it, and trusting to his own skill and seamanship, disregarding the tears and entreaties of the seasick and terrified passengers, so did Pericles shut the gates of Athens, place sufficient forces to ensure the safety of the city at all points, and calmly carry out his policy, taking little heed of the noisy grumblings of the discontented. Many of his friends besought him to attack, many of his enemies threatened him and abused him, and many songs and offensive jests were written about him, speaking of him as a coward, and one who was betraying the city to his enemies. Cleon, too, attacked him, using the anger which the citizens felt against him to advance his own personal popularity. Pericles was unmoved by any of these attacks, but quietly endured all this storm of obloquy. 
he sent a fleet of a hundred ships to attack Peloponnesus, but did not sail with it himself, remaining at home to keep a tight hand over Athens until the Peloponnesians drew off their forces. He regained his popularity with the common people, who suffered much from the war, by giving them allowances of money from the public revenue and grants of land, for he drove out the entire population of the island of Agina and divided the land by lot among the Athenians. A certain amount of relief also was experienced by reflecting upon the injuries which they were inflicting on the enemy, for the fleet as it sailed round Peloponnesus destroyed many small villages and cities, and ravaged a great extent of country, while Pericles himself led an expedition into the territory of Megara and laid it all waste. By this it is clear that the allies, although they did much damage to the Athenians, yet suffered equally themselves, and never could have protracted the war for such a length of time as it really lasted, but as Pericles foretold, must soon have desisted had not providence interfered and confounded human counsels. For now the pestilence fell among the Athenians and cut off the flower of their youth. Suffering both in body and mind, they raved against Pericles, just as people when delirious with disease attacked their fathers or their physicians. They endeavored to ruin him, urged on his personal enemies, who assured them that he was the author of the plague, because he had brought all the country people into the city, where they were compelled to live during the heat of the summer, crowded together in small rooms and stifling tents, living an idle life, too, and breathing foul air instead of the pure country breeze to which they were accustomed. The cause of this, they said, was the man who, when the war began, admitted the masses of the country people into the city, and then made no use of them, but allowed them to be penned up together like cattle, and transmit the contagion from one to another, without devising any remedy or alleviation of their sufferings. Hoping to relieve them somewhat, and also to annoy the enemy, Pericles manned a hundred and fifty ships, placed on board, besides the sailors, many brave infantry and cavalry soldiers, and was about to put to sea. The Athenians conceived great hopes, and the enemy no less terror from so large an armament. When all was ready, and Pericles himself had just embarked in his own trireme, an eclipse of the sun took place producing total darkness, and all men were terrified at so great a portent. Pericles sailed with the fleet, but did nothing worthy of so great a force. He besieged the sacred city of Epidaurus, but, although he had great hopes of taking it, he failed on account of the plague, which destroyed not only his own men, but everyone who came in contact with them. After this, he again endeavored to encourage the Athenians, to whom he had become an object of dislike. However, he did not succeed in pacifying them, but they condemned him by a public vote to be general no more, and to pay a fine which is stated at the lowest estimate to have been fifteen talents, and at the highest, fifty. This was carried, according to Idomeneus, by Cleon, but according to Theophrastus, by Simeas, while Heraclides of Pontus says that it was effected by Lacertides, he soon regained his public position, for the people's outburst of anger was quenched by the blow they had dealt him, just as a bee leaves its sting in the wound. But his private affairs were in great distress and disorder, as he had lost many of his relatives during the plague, while others were estranged from him on political grounds. Yet he would not yield nor abate his firmness and constancy of spirit because of these afflictions, but was not observed to weep or to moan, or to attend the funeral of any of his relations, until he lost Paralus the last of his legitimate offspring. Crushed by this blow, he tried in vain to keep up his grand air of indifference, and when carrying a garland to lay upon the corpse, he was overwhelmed by his feelings, so as to burst into a passion of tears and sobs, which he had never done before in his whole life. Athens made trial of her other generals and public men to conduct her affairs, but none appeared to be of sufficient weight or reputation to have such a charge entrusted to him. 
the city longed for pericles and invited him again to lead its councils and direct its armies and he although dejected in spirits and living in seclusion in his own house was yet persuaded by alcibiades and his other friends to resume the direction of affairs after this it appears that pericles was attacked by the plague not acutely or continuously as in most cases but in a slow wasting fashion exhibiting many varieties of symptoms and gradually undermining his strength as he was now on his deathbed the most distinguished of the citizens and his surviving friends collected round him and spoke admiringly of his nobleness and immense power enumerating also the number of his exploits and the trophies which he had set up for victories gained for while in chief command he had won no less than nine victories for athens events soon made the loss of pericles felt and regretted by the athenians those who during his lifetime had complained that his power completely threw them into the shade when after his death they made trial for other orators and statesmen were obliged to confess that with all his arrogance no man ever was really more moderate and that his real mildness in dealing with people was as remarkable as his apparent pride and assumption his power which had been so grudged and envied and called monarchy and despotism now was proved to have been the saving of the state such an amount of corrupt dealing and wickedness suddenly broke out in public affairs which he before had crushed and forced to hide itself and so prevented its becoming incurable through impunity and license end of section three